I, I will I will be the the fireproof retaining walls around this lava and guide it uh, safely through the village with as few incidents as uh, as possible. So we're talking like uh, is this like Dante's Inferno uh, or Dante's Peak uh, uh, where they channel or is it volcano that they channel the I'm I'm so obsessed (laughs) with the fact that there was a year where like months apart from each other, two terrible volcano movies came out. Dante's Dante's Peak and Volcano, which I only remember. I I think Dante's Peak was the one with Pierce Brosnan. I don't know. Volcano was the one where in the trailer, the title... Uh, starts with just the letters L and A, and then the rest of the letters oh fill in because it was like a volcano in Los Angeles. Like, yep, um, yep. yeah. I don't know. This is incredible. It's, they, it's yeah, yeah. They use concrete dividers, so you're going to be the concrete dividers that are being put on like uh, Wilshire uh, on Wilshire Boulevard to kind of divert the La Brea tar pit volcano that is my brain right now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. And, and when I say that, it's, I mean, not so much concrete, strong reinforced concrete barriers as it is yeah. going to be like a thin sheet of aluminum foil that I'm just okay, going to try yeah. and like be like, just lay down and cover yourself with this aluminum foil. <laughs> let, the, let the lava sweep over you and you'll be yeah. totally fine. I promise you won't be uh, preserved yeah. in a museum centuries from now. Perfect. And with that. Welcome to a new year for the F1 Files. Uh, the F1 Files is a Formula One podcast hosted by two of the bestest friends. My name is John Lapore. I'm a creative consultant designing the future for film, technology, and automotive. And I am joined by... Corey Willis. I'm a writer, actor, improviser out here in Los Angeles, California, a.k.a. Volcano Town. Volcano town. And so (laughs) as we stand, uh, you know, at this Dante's peak, looking out Mm -hmm. at the inferno of 2024 laid out ahead of us, uh, entering Uh, a new year, uh, Corey, uh, uh, sorry to catch you off guard here. What episode of the F1 files is this? We're getting up there. This is, this is episode 96, as in the okay. championship Chicago Bulls 96. This is like, this is going to be the episode that everybody remembers uh, that people like mount onto their walls uh, under like mylar sleeves just to preserve the fidelity of it. The, uh, the yeah. Fleer, the Fleer 96 <laughs> pack. Um, all right. So yeah. that means, uh, well, that's very exciting because that means it's. We're now three episodes away mm-hmm. from our remarkable hundredth episode, which yeah. we will be pulling out all the stops for. Uh, yes. You know, we're 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 still putting the finishing touches on the live production. Mm-hmm. Um, we're uh, uh, coordinating flight schedules for the VIP guests that will be all joining the, us. Uh, the t-shirt uh, cannons uh, have been primed. Um, we got, we got our friends over at T source to print up a whole bunch of, uh, 100th episodes, 
uh, yep. t-shirts over over there. And and the difficult thing for them is that we've made them print multiple variations of the t-shirt, only one uh-huh. of which will be chosen to be used at the absolute last possible minute. And then of the course. rest will be uh, dumped into the Hudson River, I believe, yes. as you yes. as you do. As, um, yeah, as, as normal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, all right. So uh, yeah, welcome to, uh, a new year on the F1 files. Uh, I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday break and a little time off of, uh, off from whatever it is that you do a little time with your family and hopefully not as, uh, crippled with immense waves of sickness as at least my, every tangent of my family experienced over the holidays and we had yep. like for for you know being as far removed from covid as you would think we would be here in 2024 this was by mm-hmm. far like the most like covid themed christmas of like nobody seeing each other nobody getting mm-hmm. together plans all getting canceled at the last minute and and whatnot i'm very thankful that i got a chance to see you buddy uh, yeah. uh briefly yeah. Uh, yeah, right before, uh, you know, <laughs> right the, the waves of outbreaks uh, spread all over the place. And so many other people that I've talked to went through some, some version of, uh, of that, but, uh, mm-hmm. the, the less said about all of that, the better yes. let's look ahead. Yes. We are heading into a wonderful 2024 season mm-hmm. of formula one. Um, we are in like probably the quietest part of the off season. We've got a couple blips of some interesting yeah. news, some interesting going goings on behind the scene in formula one that we're going to get into some personnel shifting around that to us. I think we can start to presume or implicate a little extra drama on top of that. And yeah. then we're going to take a moment to break down how Corey and I absorb some of the F1 information and entertainment that we get out there. It'll be sort of us like opening up our tool belt and mm-hmm. sharing with the audience some of our favorite places to get insights, information, and and more about this yeah. sport. And that, that oh-so-precious trash that absolutely infiltrates every single episode of this podcast. Uh, the, the trash is... Is like the base layer that we operate are. You on. suggesting that we won't be going through exclusively highly reputable <laughs> sources of of information? That's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't exactly considered that before. Oh, uh-huh, well, uh-huh. I look forward yeah. to I look forward to hearing about uh, where uh, who your who your favorite trash dealer is. <laughs> yes. Yeah, where you get yep. that? Where'd you get that trash? Where'd you get um, all that trash from? Where'd you get it? Yeah, mm. they trash. So, Let's the uh, let's... With, the, with the red lid on the trash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I only got the ones with the green lid. Where'd yeah, you get that yeah. red lid trash? <laughs> Is that from a department store, or do you have to order that online? Uh, so <laughs> um, let's uh, let's let's talk about some news first. Um, so first and foremost, like the most technical, I guess, like sort of on the surface level, boring, but also. Uh, it has like much deeper implications, which is uh, the there are a couple of people who have stepped down from the FIA's F1 team. So the FIA is this governing body that covers pretty much all competitive motorsport, but it is most famous for governing 
Le Mans, the 24 Hours of Le Mans, the World Rally Championship, and F1 and all of its feeder series. So there's been this figure over the past couple of years uh, who we have grown to... I think I, I I think it's safe to say grown to resent and maybe even despise at this point, um, who is Mohammed Ben Suleiman. Uh, he is the president of the FIA overseeing uh, F1 very specifically and directly. Now, he's just been this rock star figure when anyone in that position should be the exact opposite of a rock star. Like not even mm-hmm. like an, like uh, an adoring fan or a roadie or, uh, or someone who like is like a collector um, who's never been to a live show. I'm talking someone who's like, what's a concert? Um, like that's who <laughs> Ben Solomon should be. Uh, so he can have as much of like an objective, a governing role as possible so that he's not really steeped in the culture. Um, that has not been who he is. He is absolutely, unfortunately, that rock star, even though people are like, get off the stage. We're what we want the yeah. opening act to get off the stage. Um, like no encores for the opening act. That's, that's not a thing. What are you doing? Uh, so there are this is like couple- this is like Puff Daddy whispering over every Biggie verse mm-hmm. and you take know that, take that dan- take that uh, yeah, da- <laughs> dancing on dancing on stage at the concert you know in front of everybody and and whatnot yeah yeah and people being like what are you doing dude this isn't about you uh, so there were a couple of people who were hired over the past two seasons who were brought in to kind of put him in check and make sure that the governing body maintained some sort of your reputation, I guess, uh, is the best way to put it. Um, and those two people are uh, Tim Goss, who was the technical director there, uh, and the sporting director, Steve Nielsen. Uh, so Tim Goss was someone who was uh, pretty integral to making sure that the rules were being uh, applied uh, directly in the oversight of the teams as they built these cars, as they kind of strategize their season. That's the technical director's job is to make sure everyone is operating at the same level. Uh, he kicked rocks uh, late last year uh, because he had other things to do, I guess, um, which it was kind of a quiet departure. But then a couple of days ago, we had Steve Nielsen resign. And Nielsen was brought on board last year with like the specific purpose and mandate of making sure that the sporting of the the sporting direction and governing was being fair. And this included like marshalling at the track. Uh, this included uh, penalties. This included uh, appeals. Um, so this is like really was like really important to make sure that the FIA from race to race to race maintained fidelity and maintained uh, a level of excellence that no one could go like, Hey, I mean, this really harkens back to Abu Dhabi where the rules mm-hmm. seem to be applied in an untoward way <laughs> on a whim. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it, they were a whim. Um, so that was, uh, that was looked at as like, a, Oh, we got to do something in order to fix this. So Steve Nielsen was brought on board to like make sure that no one kind of put 
their finger on the scale to make sure the rules were being applied in some places and they weren't being applied in other places. And now Steve, Steve Nielsen has been like, oh, I can't do my job. Like I cannot, I cannot do my day-to-day job under the current regime. And the current regime yep. is headed by Mohammed bin Salman. So I don't know what this says uh, about what's going to happen this coming year, John. What do you, what are your, like, what are your thoughts? Uh, so there's a lot here to me. I mean, mm-hmm. these things can be minor and, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, blow anything out of proportion. There can always be instances yeah. where there's political stuff happening at work. Right. Of and where any job, you know, people have certain alliances with each other. And when one person leaves, another person leaves. But I mean, it certainly seems like there's just a lot of tension brewing mm-hmm. at the FIA and that this tension is, uh, you know, centered around potentially a like it's it's to me always concerning when you have and we've seen probably like this almost seems like a very like modern age problem where you have a really potent or powerful personality yep. at the top of an organization. Yep. Organizations typically require a lot of wonderful teamwork in order for things to get done. And you will see situations where these personalities are so personal, like have so much uh, attraction towards the spotlight or thrust themselves into the spotlight. And then you start hearing about all of these very talented, critical people behind the scenes disappearing, moving away, uh, shuffling around in droves and, and whatnot. Um, and to me, it's that that's just like uh, that's a sign of bad, toxic things happening within yep. those spaces and those environments. So I'm very concerned. Um, I get even more concerned because I also look at, you know, one of my other recurring topics that we're always touching on here at the F1 Files and something that I do think is going to be a huge story in 2024 is this mm-hmm. sort of like. FIA versus Formula One management, basically the group of all of the teams working together, uh, particularly around letting the Andretti team into the sport, which I really want to happen. And the FIA is the advocate for that. But it also seems like the FIA is a total mess. And so who wants to listen to the organization that's a total mess when they're the yeah. ones that are advocating for this and like have done all these other steps to sort of delegitimize themselves. Um, to me, this is all this is all just kind of bad news. Doesn't yeah. doesn't look good and speaks to I think a lot of again just general like modern day turbulences. You know, yeah. not to not to freak out or anything, but I do sometimes feel like. Uh, civility in general is slowly unraveling itself, and yeah. this would be the FIA's version of uh, of that happening. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's almost like you've got like your friend who is constantly in the worst relationships. Mm-hmm. Like as you're about to like start dating someone, they're like, "Hey, huh, I've got some great advice for you," and you're like, "No." Why would I ever listen to you? Like you, you can't keep your own 
affairs in order. Why would I ever let you dictate my affairs, let alone like the start of this relationship, right? Like, and that's what Andretti Motorsports is doing. Andretti Motorsports is like, hey, like we want to like, we think you're really cute. We want to like, maybe like go out Mm -hmm. for coffee sometime. And the FAA is like, listen, F1, this is what you do. You go out, you don't go for coffee. If you anything, you go to a bar and you get like an espresso martini, but you just tie one on and you see them in their worst possible state. And you're like, that's kind of bad advice. Why would I ever? I think the coffee idea is fine, right? Um, So like that's what it feels like to me is that the FIA is really setting themselves up to just like fall on their face um, very publicly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, quite, quite disconcerting. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, we do have, uh, some, like some rumors, uh, about the, the leadership at F1 itself. Uh, so right now we have Stefano Domenicali as the president of formula one. He runs formula one, uh, acts as a liaison to the FIA, uh, and also helps to kind of manage the team owners and team principals. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Stefano Domenicali, there was like a huge issue with him taking over being the boss of F1 because he had such close ties to Ferrari. And if you look at his reign, since he took over and you look at Ferrari since he took over, there's really no argument to back that up whatsoever. Uh, so kind of in line with that. Um, also Russ Braun. Yeah, and I, I think it's, yeah, Ross Man. Braun was the previous head yeah. of, of formula one who previously was running the Mercedes team. And uh, before it was the team named after him. And before that, yeah. uh, leading, Ferrari through their championship era. And so like, uh, to me, it's a pretty natural sort of yeah. segue. And I would say if, if anything, it just seems like it's the kind of thing that would be the ultimate final pissing match standoff between Toto Wolf and Christian yes. Horner vying for yes. this role that is, you know, I don't know. T- I'm sure it's not as chill as it looks, but it does look like it's sort of it like so the way that you very gently retire out of the sport at the absolute pinnacle. And you like go on to just be like, and then instead of, you know, sweating in the garage on race weekends, I'm like shaking the hands of the children year, who are there yeah. when the national anthem is playing and like, you know, just like, yeah, it's yeah. so that could, I mean, and that what, what we're alluding to here is Toto Wolf has been kind of like, pointed to as the person who will next take over F1. Uh, Now, he'd said things a few years ago where he's like, I see myself in F1 for the next three years. And now that three-year period has elapsed. And since that happened, he sent his chief strategist to, in essence, the junior Mercedes team in order to Mm -hmm. build out that organization and really prove himself in an arena that is a lot less caustic and a lot less, you know, um, uh, a lot less focused on than a top tier team. So, and you look at what, what James Vowles has done at Williams in one year's time. Uh, and it looks as though Williams is really turning it around 
and in the next couple of years will probably be leading the mid pack, um, which is great. I mean, that's amazing, especially if you look at yep. the history of Williams in the past five years. They were quite literally ready to leave the sport, right? So the fact that James Valls is now running that organization and its resurgence is definitely an indicator that, hey, in a few years' time, when that team is up to par with these other midfield teams, if Toto steps down, James Valls will absolutely take over the team principal role at Mercedes. Mm -hmm. So that's like also part of why these rumors have kind of bubbled up recently. Um, So I think that that would be great. One, I would love to see James Valls run Mercedes. I would absolutely love to see him run Mercedes. I think Toto Wolff, is another person who kind of loves the camera a little too much, kind of loves the media focus a little too much, not to the extent that Christian Horner does, but he definitely loves to be in front of the camera um, much more than a Fred Vassour, right? Um, Much more than even like an Otmar Zafnau. Like he definitely, even more than Zach Brown, right? Zach Brown is definitely the media darling, but like Total Wolf, is eclipsing Zach Brown on pretty much every single level. Um, And that would be a great place to put Toto Wolf. Uh, Also because he has a huge stake in Formula One itself. Like he owns part of the sport. So that's another reason why I'm like, hey, yeah, of course there are concerns that Mercedes would start to get favorable judgments and favorable options, right? But that would damage F1 as a whole. And as much as like Daimler and Mercedes and Mercedes AMG make a ton of money, Formula One makes a whole lot more money than any one of the teams. Um, So I can't see Toto really damaging the sport uh, in a way that could damage his ability to earn, especially because he will inevitably have to sell off his stakes in Mercedes and Daimler if he were yeah, for sure the managing director of Formula One, right? So like yeah. he all all that potential money that he could earn by giving them favorable judgments and favorable decisions would kind of not help him. I mean, I would just I think the biggest yeah. you know the biggest factor is that like you put yourself at tremendous risk of destroying your entire legacy, you know, like it's just, it would just be the worst possible way to finish out a career in global motorsports that to this point has been for, for in, in many regards, an absolute Mm -hmm. triumph. So I, I I have, I have no concerns about that being, you know, a, a shady thing, even if Christian Horner was to take the role, I wouldn't be that nervous that it would turn into some sort of like, you know, uh, shady, uh, mission, uh, some sort of 4d chess to benefit the team. I think it, I think it truly is just kind of like this sort of like ultimate retirement plan. You know, it's the final trophy, for these guys to, to go after. So, uh, you know, would be, would be interesting to, to see how that goes. I would also like to think that this is a few years away, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly because I think James Vowles needs a few more years to make ultimate impact at Williams. Yes. Yes. Um, 
it's it's not a two season and done sort of mission. It it like is probably a four year program to do a Minimum. full turnaround on a team. Yeah. Like that's just how complex it is to change the the dynamics of of what's well, happening here. Any team, it would be that. Yeah. But this is Williams, right? And Williams was in such disarray. And James Valls comes as the technical director to Williams. And this is the man who runs Mercedes' entire development program. And he showed yep. up to Williams. And Williams quite literally did not have a proper inventory of the parts they made that season. So like, not yeah. like, oh, what happened to like all the spare wings from the cars three years ago? It was like, how many wings do we have this year? And there'd be like a shoulder shrug. And it's like, wait a minute. We need to pack the, these things needed to have been packed and put on ships already. And you're telling me you don't have an account of them even being produced at the factory? So it's going to take a bare minimum of four years for James Vowles to really turn that organization around. Um, and that would coincide with the rule changes for F1 at the end of 2026. Yeah. So it, it all kind of makes sense. Um, now, kind of piggybacking on the rule change of 2026, we have the split turbos go bye-bye rule, uh, which is this efficiency, um, this this initiative that Mercedes pioneered, uh, which is kind of true with a lot of the engine stuff uh, in and around F1 right now. And this mm -hmm. is a result of Mercedes just basically writing the regulations pre-2013. Um, so they were able to innovate and make all these incredible efficiency uh, moves on their engines. And one of them was the split turbo, uh, which basically literally split the turbo in half. So half of the turbo was on the front end of the engine and half of the turbo was on the rear next to where the gearbox was mounted. Uh, so the only team that doesn't do that and refused to do that was Ferrari. Uh, so, I mean, Ferrari may be at an advantage when 2026 rolls around because they've been creating these engines in this form uh, for the past, what, like sit literally since 2012, since the turbo, yeah. uh, hybrid era, uh, was, was incepted. So that, that's something that's very interesting and something to keep an eye on. Um, and that yeah, is, don't worry, all... they'll, they'll still find a way to burn the sauce. It'll exactly. Be, yeah. Yeah. That there's no way Ferrari is going to be ahead of things. I mean, maybe they will be, but I doubt it. Um, uh, this is also part of the initiative of F1 that they just rolled out being like, hey, the development of our vehicles need to be in lockstep with road cars, need to be mm -hmm. things that you can see trickle down into the actual road cars and not just the Aston Martin Valkyrie, right? Like not just something yep. that is basically designed to be an F1 car that is street legal. Um these these initiatives were kind of heralded and put in place uh, by Max Mosley. This is like something, this is part of his legacy, uh, his tarnished legacy uh, that exists in road cars. The reason we have impact zones and crumple zones and anti-lock brakes and active suspension. Um, these are all the result of Max Mosley uh, trying to kind of streamline 
the F1 engineering and development into what could potentially trickle down into customer cars. Uh, so I, quite frankly, I think this is a good move. I know people are a little like, hey, yeah. why are they changing the rules when Mercedes is trying to like build back their like program? And it's like, it's not, it's not about that. This is about sustainable fuels and trickle down technology that can end up in road cars in the next 10 to 15 years. Like that is the point of Formula One. That is the reason why Honda has stayed in the game. That's the reason yep. why Mercedes re-entered the game, right? After a horrific accident that saw them disappear from motorsports. They were like, hey, we're going to show back up and like do good for the automotive mm -hmm. community. So I think it's good. Um, even the Ferraris. I mean, Ferraris aren't necessarily... I mean, there are customer cars, right? Um, but it's not like you see a ton of Ferraris driving around and you go, oh, that's the safest car on the road. Like, that's not what you do when you see a Ferrari. Um, but they do have in place these active suspensions and crumple zones and uh, yeah. uh, anti-lock brake systems. So it, it it's important, right? Um, yeah, it's, it, to me, it's a it's a important part of the dream of what formula one is is that it's a yeah. it's a place where we bring this incredible talent from around the world and you know put them in a competitive setting and we hope that the fruits of that talent of all this you know experimenting that's going on leads to some something that everyone else in the world can take advantage of to to some yeah. degree so I'm all for it. I'm not worried about this being things that are going to like temper or, you yeah. know, make the sport not as aggressive or intense as it, as it could be. It's always, it's always going to be that. And I mean, again, mm -hmm. at all times, formula one could also be much more like aggressive than it already is. Like these could be like yeah. top fuel dragsters yeah. that, that steer, you know, like there's, there's ways that the sport could be uh, more insane in, in other ways, but I don't think it has well, to be all about like complete uninhibited, you know, maximizing of every attribute. Yeah. And this is, I mean, that's literally was the inception of the sport. We're just a bunch of unbelievably rich British and like Northern European men who would take their cars out onto tracks that they built or, public roads mm. that they built and then they would race those cars around and those cars were completely overpowered and were the most dangerous things on the road and no none of these gentlemen drivers uh would take those cars that they drove at on these tracks on these you know uh, scare quotes tracks um they would never take those cars onto regular roads and use them to commute anywhere so yeah. There, there is a history of F1 just going completely over the top. Um, and I like that there's the potential of like, hey, let's, uh, let's bring this back to the people. Um, yep. I love it. I love it. Um, last little bit of news here. Uh, oh, yes. I, don't, I don't know his name. I don't know his name. I should probably look it up. Um, it's the uh, the Ferrari chief strategist, the guy who has basically been demonized uh, for the past yes. <laughs> like fifteen years at Ferrari. Um, I, I'm scrolling through 
Twitter right now, and I uh, there's no way I'm going to so, immediately find it. But so this yeah. Ferrari strategist is on his way out, mm-hmm. is moving on, um, yes. and you had mentioned to me that oh, on his way out, I love he it. was receiving some really strong praise from Carlos Sainz. Yeah, and to me that's an interesting tidbit. You know, that's mm-hmm. uh, you know you would think that. There's two people on earth that are the most burnt by Ferrari strategy blunders and Carlos Sainz yep. is certainly one of them. Yes, and so is. for him to 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 hand some flowers to this guy on his way out um what does that tell you about the state of, you know, strategic affairs at Ferrari? Like does that imply that like well maybe it's not at the feet of this guy and their circumstances far beyond his control? that have led us to the clown show that we see every maybe, other weekend? Maybe. Um, but also there's this idea that Fred Vassour last year, there was like a ton of resistance that he was met with when he basically was hired on as the principal uh, of, mm-hmm. of Ferrari. And he was like, Hey, I want to like bring over some like strategists and bring over some yep. technical personnel and not bring them over from Alfa Romeo, but also just like that dude has been in the sport literally for all all of our lives, um, uh, plus some. So uh, he's he he has this amazing relationship. He worked in F two, right? He was like yep. uh, Charles' team boss when he was in F two. Like it, he has these incredible relationships where he could bring in just the best people in the business also because he's Fred Vasseur and he has this incredible likability and he's easy to apparently very easy to work for. Um, That's something that I think because Ferrari didn't see the results that they wanted to, but also kind of did see the results. Like this might be like the, the, the carrot and the stick method, right. Of being like, Hey, like you would better, you would better finish in like the first or second position in the constructors championship uh, or we don't trust your decision-making. And he luckily, not luckily, well, no, luckily because Lewis was disqualified in Austin and that kind of made it so that Ferrari beat Mercedes out for the second spot in the constructors championship. Like that's, I mean, there were some other factors, but that's the major thing that you can point to and be like, well, it was kind of luck. Uh, but Fred Vassour ended up finishing second behind Red Bull in the Constructors' Championship yep. in a year when they saw more hilarious disasters in their strategy than yeah. I can remember. Um, so I think that that was kind of that thing where like the top management at Ferrari were like, Okay, so you clawed us across the finish line and ended up getting a second place in the constructors championship, aka like lining our pockets with tens of millions of dollars. Maybe we yeah. should trust you going forward and his first order of business was to 
first of all, he relegated the chief strategist from like trackside engineering and trackside strategy back to like, you're going back to Marinello. You don't get to come to races anymore. I've got someone who I trust myself and trust my team on trackside strategy more than I trust you. So you keep your job as a strategist, but you go back to Marinello and strategize from there. And now he's been let go or he stepped down from that role at the factory. So Fred Vassor gets to hire a new strategist. Yeah. Um, It's kind of rough, but also, John, this is like in the past couple of years that we've been doing this podcast, the highlights have been watching Ferrari trackside strategy do backflips like like I am, it's like when do anything uh, they can to, yeah. to do anything wrong, to be yeah. unbelievably innovative in inventing new ways to fail. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, when, uh, when Homer, the heretic in that Simpsons episode where Homer decides like he doesn't have to go to church anymore and there's a fire that breaks out, uh, because of like oily rags and magazines, um, mm-hmm. And then Ned Flanders comes in and like tries to save him and he tosses a mattress out the, uh, out the like second story window and like jumps out and like, or he doesn't jump out. He like tries to throw Homer out and Homer like yep. bounces perfectly back into the fire. Um, yep. and then Ned like crosses himself and like does like a triple backflip off of the mattress into the fire. That's like Fred Vasor. um, trying to save Ferrari strategy and being like, go get out, go, 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 go. I'll make room for you. And it's like, why did you come back? You just, "Ah, okay, I guess I'll just go back into the flames. Um, It was really impressive to watch Ferrari completely blow every single strategy call. And then literally Carlos, who's like the driver slash strategist in the off season be like hey look ferrari strategy is actually not that bad what you just fired the strat huh okay um which this kind of screws over carlito in his negotiation efforts because he's trying to negotiate a contract and he just came out and gave praise to a person who was just like unceremoniously let go (laughs) by That people he's trying to sign a contract with. Yeah. So interesting. Interesting things happening at Ferrari. I Do you think that Carlos is going to get an extension? More than like a one-year extension on this contract? Do you think they'll match what, uh, what, what Charles is going to get? No, I think, I think Charles gets priority. I think yeah. they... Uh, the sense that I get is that, uh, you know, and I mean... We think very highly of Carlos Sainz. I don't think Ferrari thinks as highly of him as we do. And he's the, he's the expendable one. He's the, you know, cause they, I think the Ferrari mindset and, and maybe even appropriately so is that they always have to be ready at a moment's notice to like jump on whoever the next hot talent could be. And if that's like, you know, whether that's rumors of, you know, Lando Norris or, you Mm -hmm. know, whoever else that they are just going to say like, Oh, Let's get the let's get the new guy in the mix. You know they'll. Well, I'm, I'm sure they will do that while remaining somewhat dedicated to Charles. Yeah, I think that they have uh, Ali Berman, who is I think I don't know if he's 
Japanese Super Formula, if he if he raced that series last year, or if he was F two, but they had him in um, during one of the practice sessions uh, this past year, and he was lights out during that practice session and was like matching uh, the midfield mm-hmm. drivers in his first outing in a Formula One car. Um, Interesting. And- yeah, so that's someone, and and Haas has been like, "Hey, this guy could take over a seat here, especially if we lose Nico yeah. Hulkenberg to uh, Sauber Audi, right? Like, there's a chance that." Yep. And and Gunther literally came out and was like, "We are not against bringing on a rookie in this other seat. Um, we'll keep a veteran, mm-hmm. but we are interested in maybe bringing in a rookie." And Oliver Behrman is definitely the person that they've like that everyone is like oh you mean ali Behrman? okay interesting much like we don't want yuki to go to red bull i do not want Behrman going to haas like i want him going to a team that can be competitive um and that isn't basically at the uh at like the whim of gene haas if he decides to go like nah no more money to you guys then you may end up squandering a rookie's uh, potential in the the program, right? In 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 F one and in the junior driver program. So I don't want him to go to Haas. I'm not saying I want to see Carlos lose his seat, but I would rather see Oliver Behrman be brought in as a like a Ferrari driver uh, versus any of the other potential seats that he might occupy. Uh, even if he's brought in sure. as a reserve driver, right? Um, I'd be fine with that. <sighs> so that uh, I think that pretty much covers the news portion of this podcast. How do we so get all this let's, news? Yeah, how do yeah, we? Yeah, let's where, let's where let's jump from? into this. Um, we were we were talking moments before that you know we is a good opportunity for us to share a little bit of like where we go. Mm-hmm hunting around for the highest quality of formula <laughs> one news. Yes. yes. Maybe, and maybe once in a while, a little, little trash gets, gets mixed yeah. in there. Um, yeah. all right. So for me, first and first and foremost, like old school media television, the F one app as the most modern incarnation, like I would say, yeah. I get almost no news or information from that. Um, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't doesn't even come close. I happily tune in on race day, but I don't find myself like sniffing around, uh, particularly in the Formula One app. There's yeah. nothing that is going to be anything other than you know the sports own way of trying to appeal to us as fans, and for whatever reason, that doesn't seem as attractive as whatever hard hitting data you could find elsewhere. Um, So for me, I always think of like the first line of information is going to be various websites and Mm -hmm. blogs that are, that are out there in the world. Um, I'll find myself, uh, you know, occasionally navigating through, um, you know, some of the mainstays, you know, auto sport, um, yeah. motorsport.com, you know, mm-hmm. they tend to have the most, you know, traditional 
news-based coverage, and I'd consider them to be pretty trustworthy, pretty consistently trustworthy outlets. Um, Is there anything else that falls into that sort of category for you, Corey? Um, I'd say that that's there. Those, those two autosport, um, and motorsport are definitely a couple of like the, the primary ones when I'm like, I just need actual information about a current thing that's being discussed other than race results. Like you, you mentioned the F1 app and I think the F1 app is like great for being like, Oh, who like, who who placed where in what, qualifying? What or time is the race in my <laughs> yeah, time zone? You yeah, know, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. That's but that's it. I don't go to that for news either. Um, the other uh, website that uh, website slash blog slash podcast that I find myself regularly listening to is the race dot com. Um, so it's mm-hmm. the hyphen race dot com uh, and. They have an incredible podcast. Um, Scott Mitchell Malm is one of the people who sits in the media room and gets to actually like ask drivers and ask team personnel questions. And he does these kind of like longer uh, form interviews with people sometimes that I think are great. Um, I think Andrew Benson at Sky uh, is another incredible resource for like a more personal but also info packed uh take on on things and I'll I'll often consult him uh when there are like big stories that are huge and sprawling it's like I just need you to boil down like what is happening um Benson's phenomenal for that um I also and this starts to tip into the like the less reputable more trash driven uh sources mm-hmm. that i go for uh and it's uh f1 tactical rob uh and it's this uh this like almost daily sometimes he doesn't put out daily um youtube episodes where it's just like 15 minute long episodes that often offer up like several different kind of chapters of like okay this Th- is the news this is primarily a youtube channel yeah, yeah, it's the thing that I like yep. put on when I'm making coffee or making breakfast or even like in another room and I can just hear what he's talking about. Um he's very opinionated in the 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 commentary that he has. He's clearly a Mercedes fan, uh but like doesn't fully come out and say it all the time, but he also kind of does this like he's a YouTuber, so he does these like very clickbaity uh episode yep. titles that more often than not you like will watch them and it's like oh this wasn't this didn't really have anything of substance on like the topic of the video like you just kind of mention rumors and whispers around the paddock or like third hand accounts of stuff um or offers his own opinion on things um he's a little he's very british incredibly british um but uh uh, does a a decent job of not going over the top with like commending lewis and george and lando too much um but he Mm -hmm. definitely there's like a bias um he's not anti-red bull but definitely has some like you know there's there's some bias there you can feel it in his comments um sure so that's like kind of 
I'd say literally that's like my daily source of just like, I'll put it on in the background and then I'll research the stuff further and not just take what he says at face value. And then I, I research it on like autosport and motorsport um, and yep. the race.com. Um, that also, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's like the the entryway into the trashier landscape. So there's times where I feel like I'm bored or I'm like desperate or I'm just hankering for some information in Formula One. And like there's like nothing's happened in the last three hours, you know, like chill out, John. Just like wait for the world to go by. But then you can go to a place like planetf1.com who are just like don't you worry we got you you need you need a quick like hit you need a would you like to take a a bump of trash for the next 15 (laughs) minutes we've got you covered here and yes yeah we got all the bumps of trash (laughs) that you need and we will make sure that throughout every day every like you know 45 minutes there's some yep. point this piece of garbage that we're trying to blow up into something bigger. And yeah. uh, I don't, I, it sounds like I'm giving them a hard time. I don't fault them for that. No, one bit. no, not I at all. Find not it at quite, all. quite enjoyable. And uh, yeah, you know, it's a, uh, it's a good way straight to uh, straight, straight to my heart is with a little, yeah. little nice hot trash. Yeah. It just mainlines all the awfulness that like, I'm like, Oh man, <sighs> isn't somebody talking about this? Oh yeah. Planet F1 is definitely talking about it. Like a hundred percent talking about it. Um, I can safely say that's the one site that like I've seen more articles taken down from, uh, than any other news source where they're just like, whoops. Mm-hmm. Um, like you'll go to that like post on Twitter and it's like, Oh, this post no longer exists. Okay, got it. Um, I understand. And then you like go to the article it was trying to link to and like it's just a file not found. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, they definitely someone like someone from someone's legal or PR team reached out to them and was like, you need to take this down right now or else you have legal exposure. Um Yep. That's that's definitely one I'd say like a slightly more reputable version of that. Uh, would be like the fastest pit stop. Um, yep, yep, yep. That's that's like a another source. Uh, now we're like tipping into like Twitter here. Um, and the fast. Yeah. So I mean, in like, in yeah. general, I think that's kind of almost you know. I feel like maybe five years ago, I would have started with like yeah, and then every day I try to check in on these websites, and now mm-hmm. it really is just sort of me going through my feeds. And my feeds bubbling up the links to wherever, you know, the stories are being reported and get me, get me going in there. So like, yeah, who's, uh, on social media, who are some of your favorite follows? Ooh, I mean, I'd say, uh, Denny, uh, F1, who's just like the biggest Hamilton, uh, Stan is so good at, uh, just grabbing all this information and putting it through the filter of like, she's obsessed with Lewis. And I believe that she's, uh, I, I don't say that in like a, a, like in a derogatory way. I say that in like, she's as obsessed with Lewis Hamilton as I am, which is like really, really nice <laughs> to like be like, oh, well you can still be an objective fan of the sport and really, really appreciate the sport and also have like a clear favorite 
out of all of them, um, which is also similar to like the fastest pit stop. They definitely lean very heavily uh, towards towards Lewis as uh, as fans. Um, I'm a huge fan of like the Ferrari strategists uh, and Ferrari news uh, accounts on Twitter. Those are phenomenal. Um, it's really like just one of those things that you can always go to and just be like, oh yeah, they definitely have uh, a finger on the pulse. Um, Mark Lane is another person who I follow on Twitter. Who's yeah, he's terrific. So brilliant. Um, uh, and also like a little bit cheeky. Uh, I do follow uh, former, former engineer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I also follow, I follow Karun, um, or, uh, we follow Karun on the F1 Twitter. Um, I don't follow him on my personal Twitter because that dude blocked me after I talked some smack. Um, and I didn't even really talk smack. I just kind of like referenced some things that he did not mm-hmm. find favorable. Um, I'm also a big fan of Albert. How dare you? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, Albert Fabrega uh, is another person. He's um, the guy who runs like the the demos on F1 TV. If you see him, uh, he's often with Laura Winter with like these small yep. models of different components. Um, big fan of that dude. Uh, and then um, Doctor Obbs is another person who he's an aerodynamicist. Uh, who is really, really smart and has some brilliant uh, technical knowledge. Uh, and then Bryson Sullivan is another person who uh, I follow, who is just like absolutely brilliant. And I think just started like a doctoral program uh, in like aerodynamic engineering. So um, yeah, I'd say those are, those are the, the folks that I tend to check out on social media. Who, who, who do you follow? on there. So I think you just put out there like probably the, the essential starter pack. So I'm going to go a little more towards just some of the weird stuff Mm -hmm. that ties in for, for me. Um, one of them is the formula addict account, which does these beautiful, 3D animated visualizations mm-hmm. of any number of things. During the race season, they often will do a 3D animated breakdown of the two closest cars in qualifying where yeah. you see them overlaid on the track, like intersecting each other because that's how it would be if they were on track at the if same time. Go- yeah, you know, yeah, but, they're both ghosts. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, basically both ghost cars and with their racing line, you know, following behind them. And to me, it's, it's, I mean, it's mesmerizing to look at, Mm -hmm. but it's so fascinating because you get the most precise understanding of these little granular changes in the the choice of which line they're taking and how they're navigating that to me is just, you know, absolutely spectacular, really, really cool stuff to, to see. Um, most recently on their account in the off season, they've been posting a bunch of videos that are like deconstructed views of the car. They've got a beautiful one of like, yeah, yeah, this is a Ferrari moving on the track with no bodywork on it. And you can see every single component that's in there. That's pretty, pretty spectacular to see. So, 
uh, really cool stuff. And just, you know, obviously I'm, I'm certainly biased, but I've got a, a huge yeah. appreciation for the craft that they are, uh, uh, executing here. Yeah. Um, all right. Other, another follow, and this mm-hmm. is one, this will be my, my last one that I'm going to put out there on Instagram. There's an mm-hmm. account that I stumbled across recently called Caraway Reports. Ooh. I don't know what in the world this name means, but All right. they're putting out nothing but very well-crafted, like expertly edited Instagram reels that are telling some sort of story about Formula One, Formula One history, motorsports history in general. And it's just like they're making, it's someone who is clearly a very, very talented professional editor who's putting together these beautiful Mm. pieces that I find surprisingly emotionally stirring views of motorsport. Uh, and I think a massive undertaking to do this in like 90 seconds or so. Yeah. Um, I think the the piece that I discovered them through, which is pinned to the top of their account, is it's basically just the entire slow motion replay of the horric- horrific crash that Alonzo had years back in his McLaren where he oh, went in Australia? Yeah. into the gravel pit. Ooh. And it basically, there's a voiceover that just dissects every single like force and thing that is happening while you're watching this like hyper, like, you know, yeah. like the car's moving an inch per second, super, super slow-mo breakdown yeah. of this uh, as it's just explaining everything that's going on. And it's like mixing in footage of like Alonzo as a small child and like all of this crazy stuff. It's, it's yeah. beautifully done. And they've got a number of other pieces that all uh, tap in there in a really nice way. So I would say, uh, whereas a lot of these other accounts are the places that I go to, to get my news, to get my fix. This is one that I've found is just like a great place to sort of like reinvigorate my love for the sport in general nice nice very nice um i'd say so that's something i haven't i need to check out that account immediately john um uh the last the last couple that i'll i'll put out there one is uh it's kind of a little more in the line of like formula addict uh it's formula racers and they do some pretty cool technical breakdowns um uh and like discussions about on track and some off track uh, stuff too. Um, but then the last account, which is like a total garbage account that is just, uh, I like, sometimes I'll like their posts. Sometimes I won't like their posts because some of the posts are just like, Oh, you are doing like kind of like punching down comedy. You're like, making fun of marginalized people or making fun of uh, people in marginalized situations. And that is the F1 troll account. Um, uh, There's also like a lot of anti Hamilton stuff on there, uh, which like, of course I don't like that stuff. It is one of the most brilliant accounts out there. It's great. Unquestionably. Yeah. It's got so many memes. It's got so much, uh, actual information that it delivers through like the comedic lens that 
I, I really do appreciate it. Um, and it is one of those, like they aggregate some of the best memes on, uh, on social media, uh, and then post it to their accounts. So it's again, a garbage account because it's an aggregator and also because it does use some like very questionable language in its posts. Um, not every post, but like every once in a while I'll come across a post and be like, mm-hmm. dude, you come on. Like I would... I yeah. would kick someone out of class for saying something like that. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I, I get it. I get it. There are, it takes all types of people to appreciate all different kinds of comedy. And some people, in my opinion, uh, like things and think things are funny for the absolute wrong reasons. Um, but that's okay. Uh, it takes all stripes and it's also, it is just very entertaining to, look at them even the ones i don't like i'm still like okay that was pretty funny um i can appreciate it as a student of comedy and as uh an obsessive fan of f1 uh so yeah those are those are the sources we we there are others of course but those are the main ones that we go after um that that'll that'll do it for this episode john uh what do you think do you think that we've we've covered all the things we said we were going to cover Yes, I think that brings us to a perfect conclusion for another episode of the F1 Files. Uh, In the meantime, Mm. Corey, where can the folks find you? Oh, they can track me down. Uh, Burn Corey Burn on uh, Instagram and on Twitter uh, and on all the social media platforms. you can also check me out through my website. I got a little link tree in there, um, or not a little link tree in there. It's it's part of a link tree, I guess I should say. Um, so you can track me down at CoreyPWillis.com. Uh, and then also the F1 files on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and all that stuff. How about you, Johnny? Where can they track you down? Uh, you can find me anytime via my home base of JohnnyMotion.com. Um, if you're a general automotive geek, check out, uh, I put a post out on Twitter right before the holidays mm-hmm. that, uh, got, uh, uh, some, some quality attention, just dissecting. If you're a geek like me, this new proposed solution where Apple CarPlay will be able to take over a lot of the digital experience, including like your instrument cluster and whatnot, mm. uh, particularly as it's been announced, if you have a Aston Martin or a Porsche. And I did yeah. a little deconstruction of what's going on as well as a proposed kind of way of rethinking how they approach that. Got a lot of great um, response from that. So again, if you're into yeah. going really deep into the geeky stuff like that, uh, look that up via my my Twitter handle, Johnny Motion. Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge. I you told me about this post uh, when we were uh, hanging out on Christmas Eve, uh, and then I went and like watched it, uh, and was like, Jesus, he's so smart, because um, uh, it is. Oh shucks! It, I mean, it really is. It's a testament to your ability and your love of automotive design, and like your careful consideration when it comes to. Especially the fact that this is a product that's already been rolled out or is being rolled out right now. And there are really, really talented, smart people working on this. And I think you do a good job of being like, hey, I'm going to give you a great, honest critique uh, uh, and not like defame you in any way. I'm going to actually like support what you're doing and 
maybe throw some breadcrumbs your way as to maybe the best way to pursue it going forward. So uh, I love that, John. I love it. And I love that it's getting the attention that it absolutely deserves. Um, maybe. Ah, thank you, buddy. Appreciate maybe it. Maybe even deserves a little more attention. Uh, of course. Of course. Um, all right. Well. That'll just about do it for this episode. Uh, you can catch up with us the next time. Oh, wait a second. We didn't do the stock thing, John. We didn't do the stock thing. Where's the stock of F1? Where, where are we at? What, what are we talking? Stock here? is completely static, totally yes. level yeah. right now. Yeah. Trying yeah. to figure out what it's going to do for the next uh, 12 months. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty much like uh, we've got a perfectly sunlit room uh, and you turn the light switch on and you're like, hmm, that didn't really seem to make a difference. That's like where the stock is right now. <laughs> um, it's not it's that perfect. it's bad. It's Absolutely just that it's perfect. like, it's, it's great. Uh, all right, folks, you can catch up with us the next time, just like we will catch up with you the next time on The F1 Files. Boo!